When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, the podcast on belief and being. This is episode 66. I, and I can't quite believe it, but we are at the end of the year, and so it's time for the end of the year episodes. Uh, this is part one. We are going through the entire last year, all of 2018, sharing some of my favorite moments from the show. Uh, so today's the first half of the season, and next week we'll cover the second half of the season, and then go on break for the holidays. And what a year it has been. Queerology has just taken off. Uh, it's been so cool to see and, and to hear from all of you who listen all around the world. It's, it's really encouraging to know that this podcast is, is helping people and creating space for these conversations uh, of being a person of faith and a queer person. It's so cool. Uh, before we jump back to the very beginning of 2018, really quickly, just announce that the people that I'm going to be interviewing for our live episode of Queerology at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference in Chicago is going to be Dave and Tino Califf. Um, you may remember them from season one. They're releasing their new book literally just like a day before our interview, their new book, uh, Modern Kinship. A Queer Guide to Christian Marriage. And, and we're going to be talking about the book. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about singleness, like all of those things live at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. Uh, and here's something fun. If you haven't registered for the conference yet, you can use the promo code PODCAST19, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-9, for $10 off your registration. Uh, that's podcast19 over at qchristian.org. Uh, come see Queerology Live. Uh, there's there's a whole podcast stage this year, actually. So Kevin Garcia is doing a podcast. Crystal Cheatham is doing a podcast. I think Deborah Gian Lee is doing a po- doing her podcast as well. And then, like so many other things, <laughs> the keynoters are amazing. Uh, I'm doing a workshop on uh, on on building sustainable resiliency practices. Uh, is is just going to be a lot of fun in downtown Chicago. Again, use the promo code podcast19 over at qchristian.org and come join us. So let let's jump into the review. Uh, this first clip is from one of the very first episodes of the year. Uh, I think it's, epi- it's the second episode that we released. I, I don't know why I say we. <laughs> the second episode I released uh, with Ray Ingram, uh, whose podcast Queer Votion uh, is, is just incredible. And in that episode, she, she talks a lot about the power of connection and choosing to invest in relationships even when they're hard. Uh, and 
I, re-listening to this episode, pulled out this reminder, I think, to all of us about what love looks like even when it gets hard. Um, I, when people see that being displayed, when they see Christ being displayed in us and, and outward towards them, it draws them to where, oh, you know, I do have to recognize. Because at some point, it, it it's past the, oh, that's a choice that she's doing, that that's a choice that he's making. You know, it's it's literally like, no, this is, I, I, in the words of Lady God, I, I was born this way. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there's, I absolutely cannot change this and have really no desire to change, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so when people start to recognize that, okay, that is a whole person and I can, I can talk to them and they are, they are okay. There is nothing wrong with them. And more importantly, when we walk in confidence in who we are, it doesn't really matter what the other folks have going on because there's always going to be haters. I mean, Jesus had haters every day. So, you know, you just, you just have to remember who you are and who you belong to and just keep it moving. Yeah. And like, and and you mentioned, like you kind of mentioned earlier, like that, how, how you see like divine and God in connection. And it it sounds like by keeping the connection with your friend and not automatically writing her off because she wouldn't come to your wedding, which would be a valid response, but but in in not doing that and, and, and keeping that connection and staying grounded in your particularity something really beautiful and divine emerged out of that. Like, Yeah. I mean, I, we, we talk on a weekly basis, me and her, and <clears throat> I think about if I would have did that, right. If I would have just, you know, said, okay, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to, I did take a step back in a yeah. mean, and I, in a sense of like, okay, I won't, I won't speak about it, but I'm not going to not talk about it. If, if she's around and someone asks me totally because I'm, because I'm not ashamed. Right. But um, I did. You know, I wanted to also be respectful. But over time, she she has come around because I've remained the same, you know. And I I think sometimes people just they forget that when it comes to that they have no heaven or hell to put us in. <laughs> Nobody does. So how can someone tell me that I can't be who I am and I can't belong to who I belong to, you know, and um, if I would have just written her off and not part, you know, not did anything with her and, and just ignored her, that would have did more harm than good to to her and just had another reason for her to have another chip on her shoulder when it came to our community, you know, and, and that's the last thing that I want to do. That's I, that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> You know, I'm not here for that. I'm here to to love you, love you through it and be there with with you when you get to it. You know, I'm not here for for that. There's already enough of that going on. <laughs> yeah. And, and it can it can be such a difficult decision to make to to choose that kind of love. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because instantly self-preservation comes first, right? Course, that's what we, yeah. th- that's what, you know, that's important. And I'm not saying that, you know, you go out here, you get beat up verbally or emotionally, you know, by, by friends or so-called friends or the church even, right. you know, but there are some people who are, who are worth the investment. 
And if you just remain consistent with them and you remain faithful, <laughs> you remain faithful to them, they, it, they will see God in you. And if they choose not to, the, the, the faithfulness was not in vain because there's something, there's something beautiful, like you said, to come out of it, you know, but that's not, that's not the reason why we do it. We do it because or I, you know, because I say that I love you and, and we know that love is a verb. And love is not something that writes people off. You know, you, you got to keep, you got to make sure that you are showing that person that you love them. And that may be in different forms. It's in different forms. That's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) 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 It's easier said than done, right? (laughs) Goodness. What a call. And reminder to us of of what it means to love those people that are especially hard to love. Uh, Ray goes into some more detail about the complexity of that in the rest of that episode. Um, That is episode 32 with Ray Ingram all the way back at the beginning of 2018. One thing that this year brought was a couple straight voices to the podcast. Uh, Three of them. (laughs) Three straight people joined me this year. Uh, We're hearing from one of them next, uh, Dr. R. Marie Griffith. This, you know, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, It could just be because it's a really nerdy episode. Dr. R. Marie Griffith is a distinguished scholar at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, and she joined me to talk about her new book, Moral Combat, How Sex Divided American Christians and Fractured American Politics. I love this episode because she kind of tells us how we got to the political atmosphere that we're in today and argues that it's all about sex and gender uh, and LGBTQ issues and and women's rights. And, and you know, this is kind of a big chunk, but it, but it covers a lot of ground around around the, the state of the, of the church and, and queer people today. And then she ends this little section talking about how queer people of faith have been a core part of the fight for LGBTQ justice from the very beginning. Some leaders, I think, have galvanized ordinary people in the pews and and just across the country um, with fear. Um, and, And one of the greatest fears that's been repeated over and over again is you know, the the decline of America, this vision that America once was great and was the chosen nation of God. And now because of sin and specifically because of sexual sin, uh, America is falling into a decline from which she will never recover. And, you know, so the blame for that gets put on feminists, it gets put on gay people, it gets put, you know, on, um, you know, again, kind of folks outside of the traditional monogamous heterosexual marriage model. And just to give you some examples, um, you may know that after 9-11, Jerry Falwell was on the Pat Robertson's uh, television show a couple days later. And he said, you know, I... I blame, he basically said the feminists, the pagans, the gays and the lesbians, you know, all of those people, I point the finger in your face and say, you helped this happen. 
I mean, 9-11, the terrorist attacks. And his point was, God, there is so much sin, and America is allowing all of this sexual sin. God has turned his back on us, and he will no longer protect us from terrorists like we see there. So we must repent and, uh, and, and turn around. So, and more recently, the shootings in Aurora, Colorado, the, even the uh, Newtown Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings, Leaders like James Dobson and Mike Huckabee and others have stood up and said, you know, this we can look at our own sexual sin and our toleration for that as, as the reason why God is not protecting us from these uh, mass slaughters. I mean, it's astonishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, really. Yeah, it is so astonishing because I think <clears throat> I, I, I just I just keep thinking about like how all of those claims and I think we see those those things kind of flying everywhere. It seems like any time something like catastrophic happens in the world and people love to blame gay people for that. And, and I think those of us who, who are gay and and kind of like, or queer and kind of just like sit around and and look at them like, uh, how is it our fault? Like, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, you all get blamed and then a tolerant nation, those even, you know, who might be straight might not be gay, but who are allies or who are inclusive, who, you know, want to be open uh, to people of all kinds, you know, get blamed too, because they're tolerating sin. So it's, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that theme has sort of recurred over and over again through, you know, what we call the religious right, uh, older figures like Tim and Beverly LaHaye from the 1970s, um, you know, of course, Anita Bryant, who was the major anti-gay celebrity activist of the 1970s, you know, on up through today. And you, you write, I have a sentence here about around like LGBT rights. You write, this was not just a justice issue or an equal rights issue or a compassion issue. The matter was far deeper and far greater than those human interventions. The issue was obedience to core teachings that had been passed down for thousands of years, humble compliance with the will of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that highlights, I mean, those are the stakes I think that we're dealing with of a group of, well, both groups of people thinking they're following the teaching of God. Um, but one of them saying this is what God requires and it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I say uh, in the book, it, it's almost like we have two completely separate Christianities at this point. <laughs> you know, you've really got the one that is convinced that the Bible condemns homosexuality and other things, but, you know, that in particular. And, you know, they've got all their ways of interpreting particular passages and, you know, this to to say this is a central thing, you know, that it really matters to God. And then you've got folks on the other side saying, what are you talking about? Jesus, Jesus never talked about this. Jesus emphasized caring for the poor, loving the neighbor, you know, caring about people in prison and who are hungry. You know, this was not a big theme who was, you know, in love with whom or, you know, so you, you just really have this deep divide in, in what people think the core of Christianity really is. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about the particular context that this that this podcast kind of sits in, which is people who identify as being of faith and who identify as queer or ally um, mm-hmm. or questioning or 
whatever, but that kind of locus. Um, and, and I think sometimes I, I know I kind of got this idea when I first came out and was kind of realizing that I was gay and wanted to hold on to my faith that there were no other people in the world who were doing this kind of work and that this kind of queer Christian movement that's, I think, has risen up in the last 10 years, kind of like what I said in my first question is a new thing. But you, you in, in your last chapter talk about people who've been doing this work for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would love if you could kind of talk about the, that intersection of faith and, and like minority sexuality mm-hmm. and how those have, have kind of been wedded together for quite some time. Absolutely. And one thing I want your listeners to really know is that queer people, queer, let me say that again, queer people of faith were instrumental to the larger LGBTQ rights movement from the very beginning. They've always been there. And let me just recommend two books uh, to, to you and to anyone who's interested in looking at that. One is by Heather White called uh, Reforming Sodom. And it's really looking back at the Protestant, um, you know, the, the really Christian movements for gay rights and their, their activism in the public square in going back to the 1950s. And um, another is by Anthony Petro, um, who's sort of writing about Christians and the AIDS epidemic and, and you know, kind of people of faith um, who were so instrumental in, in, you know, in that movement and as part of the larger gay rights movement around that. So, you know, this is, there's a few famous people, you know, kind of like the, the head of the Metropolitan Community Church or folks like that, that everybody seems to remember. But there's a lot of forgotten names, too, of, of pastors, but also just ordinary people in the pews who were, and who many of whom, most of whom remained Christian, but oftentimes had to find new congregations when they felt unwelcome in their own. So queer people of faith have been a part of the larger gay rights movement from the very beginning. I had recorded that episode right after getting my voice back. I left, I lost my voice for an entire week and had to cancel that recording two times uh, before we actually got to it. And, and I believe you can you can hear that <laughs> in my voice. Uh, that was from episode 35 with Dr. R. Marie Griffith. Uh, again, if you want to understand kind of how we got to where we're at and why um, a lot of people in, uh, in faith communities dislike queer people so much, uh, her book, Moral Combat, is a really good primer to that. Uh, next, we have from episode 39, Reverend Emmy Kegler talking about her complicated relationship with scripture, especially as a queer person, uh, and how she has learned to love scripture. Again, uh, a little bit of update, a little bit of an update on Emmy. Uh, her new book, One Coin Found How God's Love Stretches to the Margins is releasing on April 2nd of 2019. Uh, It's available for pre-order. If you like this episode and and if you like Emmy, I do, (laughs) I'd say go ahead, go just like go pre-order that book right now. 
Yeah. So, so when I was primarily identifying as gay, when I was younger, teenage and early twenties, I was really concerned with how to defend myself against the Bible. And I think that's, that's an almost necessary process for everyone, um, especially people who don't grow up in affirming families. I was fortunate enough that I did grow up in an affirming family and an affirming church, um, which is miraculous really. And I am so deeply grateful, but even so um, I was not, you know, sheltered from the conversations that were happening, both at higher denominational levels, you know, just the things that were going out in the news, things that I was encountering online as, you know, we were getting AOL in the house and I was dialing into chat rooms. Um, I was learning that, you know, there were other Christians for whom those those scriptures that I was being taught in confirmation were not applicable, were, and they used them quite mightily against me. And when I came out, I actually lost friends at school because they said, well, that, you know, God says it's not okay. And I'm looking at them going like, what? what? No, like I was specifically taught that that part doesn't apply. Like that part's the same as the not eating pork part. I don't understand where you're getting this. And so I went through this process of, of really, you know, developing all of these different um, theologians call them hermeneutics. And that's a fancy way of saying lenses for reading the Bible. Um, what are the different ways that we come to scripture and understand it and read it? And, uh, I still felt very captivated by the church and by the Jesus story, despite my really tenuous relationship with scripture. And so I pursued my call to ministry and it was in my mid twenties. Um, and it, I I was at some lecture that Nadia Bowles Weber out in uh, Denver was giving, uh, she was here in the cities for something. And she talked about how her understanding of her job as a pastor was that she was supposed to be in love with scripture in public. And I remember just thinking, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) That is not something that I think I can do. I don't think I can be in love with scripture in public. Like, how can I be in love with this text that has been used to abuse me and to abuse my queer family? Uh, I, I don't know how to reconcile myself with this story. And the further that I pursued my call to ministry, especially because I was pursuing it within a Lutheran church, which has a deep and long history of um, intentional engagement with scripture and taking scripture very seriously, I had to come to terms with how I was going to love scripture. And uh, it really did feel sort of like, an I don't know, it's not an appropriate metaphor to use, but because I'm not from a culture that uses arranged marriages, but this is what I imagine arranged marriage is like, is that you know, I really wanted to pursue my call to ministry and I ended up stuck with a Bible. (laughs) And I had to sit down with it and just go like, what am I going to do with you? I have to live with you for the rest of my life and not just, you know, in a, like a, well, I want to be part of a church community. So I have to do it on a Sunday morning. Like I want this to be my life. And what I ended up doing, I was actually in seminary or finishing seminary at the time when some friends out in, um, Madison, Wisconsin, we're doing this through the Bible in 90 days. So you read like 16 chapters a day. It's really only a project that pastors or seminarians can have the time to take on. Um, And they were doing it with some college kids who were off school for the summer. And so that's what I did is I churned through 16 to 20 chapters in a day and just really forced myself to say, like, if I have to live with the if if my whole life is going to be a testimony to the fact that there's some sort of truth, some sort of reality in this scripture, 
despite the fact that I don't believe it's literal word for word King James perfection, what does that mean for me? And what I found was the, the more I took seriously my call to ministry, my call to serving as a pastor, the more I deliberately engaged with the Bible and tried to find ways to put my walls down around it. And I was doing this within a community that was very supportive. So that was a huge blessing. That was what changed me was that direct and constant engagement for 90 days and just saying like, I'm like, I'm going to sit with this text until something good comes out of it. Um, uh, Phyllis Tickle talked about in about, um, I think 2013, 2014, she gave an interview and she talked about um, the understanding the Bible as the stranger who wrestles with Israel um, Jacob, uh, right? He's, he's Jacob when the stranger comes to him and wrestles with him until daybreak. And Jacob gets the upper hand and pins this messenger who's either a messenger of God or is literally God and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And uh, the messenger strikes him on the hip and makes him lame, changes the way he walks for the rest of his life, but also gives him a new name and says, you will no longer be Jacob, heel grabber, supplanter, one who steals from others, one who takes what is not his. You will be Israel for you have striven with God and with humanity. And uh, Phyllis Tickle talked about that as a metaphor for understanding scripture. Like I will sit on top of you like a big brother with his little sibling until you give me a blessing. Like, I will not let you go. And sometimes that means we are wrestling all night. Um, And yet that metaphor has remained very true for me since then. I call it um, the hermeneutic of the hip in that it's an understanding that you might walk away. And in fact, often when we engage with scripture, we do walk away wounded because of the way others have used it against us. And yet we also walk away blessed. Uh, and that blessing passes on not just to us, but to our our family, whether that's family of origin or family of choice, and to a faith community that's around us. Emmy goes on in that episode to talk about what her struggles with scripture, what what blessing that has produced. Uh, and, and then we go into a really, really good conversation about the power of blessing. Uh, that's episode 39 with Reverend Emmy Kegler. Uh, next, we have Austin Hartke. Austin joined me to talk about his new book, Transforming, uh, the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians. Uh, and in this clip, Austin talks about the importance of sitting in our bodies, especially when things hurt, especially when things are hard, uh, and and what that can mean for trans bodies uh, and, and some of the distinguishments uh, that, that need to be made when we're talking about sitting in pain. Um, for anybody who has, like you said, been told that their body is, you know, bad or wrong or lesser or <laughs> any sort of negative connotation, um, the experience of connecting to your body uh, can be really powerful, but also really painful. Uh, and so, like, there's this sort of narrative out there that trans folks hate their bodies, right? That, like, we, um, uh, it's really, it's really a myth, I think, <laughs> that I'm not, like, it's, um, it's, it's a myth because, um, well, okay, to explain this, I guess, in the simplest ways, the medicalization of trans identities that says, like, you have a thing called gender dysphoria, 
um, requires in order to to have any sort of like hormone therapy or any sort of gender confirmation surgery or gender affirmation surgery, however you want to call it. Um, in order to have that, you have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Um, and so what that means is that trans folks who want to transition in some way medically, um, or even that want to like change their documents, even if they don't want to change anything about their body, you have to essentially prove that you have such a hard time with your body. Um, you have to prove that to like a medical health, uh, or a mental health practitioner. Um, and so it ends up boosting this narrative of like trans people hate their bodies. Um, <laughs> even when that's not necessarily true, but that's what we have set up the, the healthcare model to do is like, you have to prove that you have it bad enough, um, in order to be seen as really trans. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's brought this, this narrative of like trans people hate their bodies, but, um, most of the trans folks I know do not hate their bodies. <laughs> In fact, I, I guess, I think I would say all now that I think about it, um, they don't hate their bodies. Like, um, that, like for me, I'll speak for me personally. Um, I love my body. I think my body's great. Um, there were things that I had to change about my body in order to, um, deal with the, like deal with anxiety or deal with the, um, the dissonance that I was feeling that was getting in the way of like me being able to live my everyday life. <laughs> so, but, but it's very similar to the idea of like getting glasses, like, like the feeling was in some ways very similar because like if you need glasses and you're like, man, I really can't see stuff around me very well. I can't read the stop signs and I can't read my book and I get headaches, you know, like that's a problem that's affecting your everyday life. And what do you do? Well, you get glasses or like maybe you get LASIK eye surgery or something. Um, and then, but that doesn't mean you hate your body. It's just mean this, that you had to change something so that you could live a healthy life. Um, and that's very much how I experience, um, how I experience my body and, and dealing with gender dysphoria. So for me, um, and, and coming back to yoga, um, part of what yoga forced me to do was, um, to sit with discomfort that I feel, um, part of what you do in yoga is sometimes hold positions for a really long time. Uh, or at least it feels like a really long time when you're in it. Um, but to hold a position and just breathe there <laughs> and not move away from the discomfort. Um, and I think as human beings um, with bodies, we want to move away from discomfort. We want to, you know, that hurts. You, you take your hand off a hot thing. It hurts, you know, like that's meant to keep us safe. Um, but there are lots of ways that we can move away from discomfort that would actually be really good for us to sit in. <laughs> and so for me as a trans person, it's not like I'm on this endless quest to perfect things about my body. That's not the way that works. It's um, for me, it's that there are some things about my body that I need to change for my health, but there are other things about my body that I'm just like, Oh man, that's kind of a bummer. Like everybody has things about their body that they're like, Oh, I wish that was a little bit different, but being able to sit with that and be like, this is where we are. And we're just going to sit with it and not try to run away from pain or discomfort. Like that's a really, um, that was really helpful for me in my mm -hmm. transition journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about that, like in my, in my own practice, like how, I mean, I, I have a yoga instructor who, who would always say like, like the yoga practice is like, what happens in this room is how you kind of respond to the rest of your life. Like it's like mm -hmm. life put into an hour um mm -hmm. and she's like the more we practice in here the more we're able to move out into the world in different ways um and that makes so much sense to me like that like what you're saying that learning to sit in discomfort and then 
maybe even learning to kind of bless that discomfort mm-hmm. and in the ways that that like it is very transformative like mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah good stuff <laughs> <laughs> it is it's really um it's something that i still have a hard time with like they're like um especially when um it feels like your body like wants to do something that you don't want to do, or you want to do something that your body can't do. Like <laughs> that, uh, that feeling of, of discomfort can be hard, but, um, it, yeah, like you said, I like the, I like the terminology used there of like blessing that discomfort. Um, because I think it, it really, um, it just helps you realize that you can stay in that place and not be destroyed. <laughs> is like a really powerful thing to realize because um especially if you are somebody who um has faced um i don't know like any sort of like physical violence in your life or if you have faced any sort of spiritual or mental violence in your life um like for me i'm like super conflict avoidant and that's like something that i have to deal with all the time is like I don't want to be in this conversation. I don't want to be in this fight. I don't want to, you know, like, um, and so for me to realize that I can stand in places of discomfort and that I will survive it is a really powerful thing to remind yourself. A powerful thing indeed. Uh, That was from episode 43 with Austin Hartke. Uh, If you haven't read his book, uh, Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians, uh, go pick up a copy. It's just, it is so good. Uh, we're wrapping up. Uh, this is this is the last clip uh, for part one of 2018 in review of Queerology. Uh, this is from episode 45 uh, with Jarrell Wilson. Uh, in this episode, Jarrell shares his story uh, and what brought him to want to go into ministry, uh, pursuing his ordination. In this clip, Jarrell answers answers my question, and, you, and you'll hear my question, about queer people who want to go into ministry but don't feel like they can. I feel like I hear from people all the time who are in a spot of kind of similar spot of like, I feel called to ministry and yet I don't know that I can do ministry. Um, mm-hmm. What, like what advice is someone who's kind of been along this journey for a little while, what advice or words would you have for people in those spaces who are just maybe starting out or even feel that desire to go into ministry? I would start by saying you don't need to be ordained to do ministry. You don't need to go to seminary to do ministry. You don't need to fit into a particular model in order to be doing ministry. And I uh, wrestle with this a lot myself because here I am literally fighting uh, for this opportunity (laughs) to be ordained. Um, Really, what ordination is, is just like a validation of what you know God has told you. <laughs> um, a validation by your community and by by your peers um, and colleagues. But I think we can get so focused on that validation, it becomes an idolization. And that gets in the way of us doing what God has called us to do. 
And the fear of not getting that validation stops us from being who God has called us to be. Um, so my advice is like first not to get hung up on the how you're going to do it, but the why. Why am I feeling called to do this? Why am I motivated to move in this way? And then when you have your why, the next question should be who? Who am I called to do this ministry with, do this ministry for? And who is going to continue this work if I'm no longer able to do it? And then after you get your why, in your who, then it's the what. Like, what is this purpose? And then you go into the how. I just like was. I just went straight in. Well, the Methodist Church requires seminary, so I'm going to start seminary right after graduation. And like, I made the decision. I think the way most people should make decisions about higher education. I went to the school that gave me the most financial aid. Yes. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> Austin Seminary has a great financial aid plan for those of you who are searching. And um and thank God it just has incredible faculty as well. But I think that like because we're so focused on doing ministry in one particular way, it can stop us from even starting the process. So don't get hung up on that. And that was from episode 45 with Jarrell Wilson. Uh, all of these episodes are episodes that you should go back and listen to or re-listen to over the break that's coming up over the holidays. Uh, that's it. That's the end of part one of our year in review of Queerology. Uh, come back next week. We're going to be reviewing the second half of this year. Uh, a lot of really good stuff in there. I'm going to leave you with this moment uh, from Kevin Garcia's episode, episode 41. Uh, th this little clip uh, is just, I mean, it brought me to tears when he said it. We were recording it in a hotel room together. And I, I know I've, from, from so many of you who've emailed me about this episode, um, these are words that we all need to hear again and again and again. Uh, so uh, until next week, y'all, bye. What, how lucky are we to be watching history unfold in front of us? Yeah. I am so glad I'm still here. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that like when I was uh, depressed and suicidal, that God saved me from that. Yeah. Because I get to witness so much beauty and I get to see God in so many different people. I get to, and I also get to see them hold up a mirror and say, I see God in you. Do you see God in you? Mm -hmm. I want so badly for, if you're listening to this, I just want to let you know that God is in you and God is for you. And you have a purpose in this world. You have a gospel story that people are trying, that God wants to tell through you. And if you're struggling because you don't have like this proximal community, that's mm -hmm. totally real mm -hmm. and it's really hard. But if you just keep holding on, it can get better. Yeah. It will get better. And that is like the thing I wish that I could just like say to every single like queer human in the world is like yeah if you just keep holding on if you just keep pushing through like you know your story can change somebody else's world when you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.